The following is a message by Pastor Caleb Bunch of Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Welcome to Wednesday Night Worship. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm so glad that you are here. As you know, right now we are going through a series on villains of the Bible. In particular, we're focusing in on how the glory of God shines bright even in the midst of the world's greatest darkness. Tonight we are going to set our attention on the temptress named Delilah. However, before we can really understand the story of Delilah well, we first need to understand about Israel in its context during this time, as well as more particularly about the life of Samson. Following the exodus, the nation of Israel went into the promised land, but they were not yet unified under a king. They operated moreover like a group of federated tribes. They were loosely connected, but had no real allegiance to one another. The book of Judges reveals that there was a cycle that took place over and over where the people would rebel against God and they would delight in idols and then at this point God would be angry and frustrated and he would send in a, for, a foreign military to antagonize the people at which point they would then be distressed and call out to God and ask for his forgiveness and at this point God would raise up a judge who would restore order. And that cycle just repeats over and over throughout the book. The deliverers that God raised up were called Judges, and the book of Judges contains 12 of these historical men and women. Samson is the last of those Judges in this book, although we know from 1 Samuel that Eli and Samuel would later take on that role. The life of Samson is an example of how God can save even the weakest and vilest of people. If you were to read the story of Samson all by itself, just remove it from the Bible and read just that text, then you would probably look at this story and say, I think that man was a failure. In fact, I assume that he was an unregenerate, unsaved man. Well, I think it's important for us and helpful to begin with the way the New Testament describes Samson. It refers to him in Hebrews 11.32 in a list of others and says this, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now Samson was probably the strongest man who has ever lived physically speaking. However, as we will see, he is desperately weak, spiritually speaking. So we see that he is both in a physical and spiritual sense acted upon by God in such a way that he fits the description of what we just read in Hebrews 11, that he was made strong out of weakness. In order to understand why Delilah was able to be so successful with her seduction of Samson, we first need to understand that Samson was a worldly man. He was governed by his human lusts. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 gives us a trifold category to understand sin. It says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, 
but from the world. Here we get probably the most succinct view of worldliness in the book of 1 John. Consider Eve in the Garden of Eden. What does she do? There we read in Genesis chapter 3, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes, I'm sorry, lust of the flesh, feeding her bodily hunger, and pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes, in other words, she sees the forbidden and views it as beautiful, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Now remember, this is not godly wisdom that she is pursuing. Rather, she has just been told a lie by the devil that if she eats this fruit, she would be like God. The pride of life is viewing yourself as God. We see Samson fall in all of these ways as well. He was born under these very miraculous circumstances, but they set a tone for what's coming in his life. An angel of the Lord came to his parents and spoke to them and told them that they were going to bear a child, a little boy. And they were told, the wife was told, during your pregnancy, do not take any wine, do not eat any defiled food, do not have anything to do with the fruit of the vine, grapes, raisins, and such. And she was not permitted to do this because this child was going to be under a lifelong Nazarite vow. Now, this Nazarite vow for Samson had four components. The four components we see him breaking on a pretty regular basis. He was not to eat defiled food. He was not to drink any wine or any grapes. He was not to touch any dead things. And he was required to never cut his hair. Now, we're living in the season of COVID-19. Everybody has been talking about how desperately they would like to go in and get a haircut. I guess now, here in Nassau County, they're beginning to open up the opportunities for people to make a reservation and go get your haircut. But imagine this man who never cut his hair his, in his entire life. And it tells us later on that he would braid them into seven locks. In Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, we see the downfall in Samson's life begin. Samson went to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. When he came up, he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Here we see lust at first sight. He was not interested in this woman's personality. He knew that it was against the command of the Lord to marry this woman. She was outside of the Israelite family. But he saw this woman, and he was willing to dishonor his God in order to have her. He had lust of the eyes. Now, before the wedding could take place, as he was walking from one place to another, Samson was attacked by a lion. We read in Judges 14, verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Now, it's right here that we should acknowledge the fact that the only reason Samson had any strength whatsoever was not because of his own personal physique, but because the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. When reading a children's Bible, if there are pictures in that children's Bible, you will often notice that Samson is depicted almost identically to Goliath, just with less armor and longer hair. 
But he is presented as this massive, incredible Hulk-type figure. He is this huge brute of a human being. However, there is no indication whatsoever in the scripture that he looked muscular at all. He might have had a little beer belly going on. He might have had a, a little pooch going on. He was probably just an average young man with abnormally long hair. Now, we see that his strength came upon him when he ripped this lion apart. And a few months later, what does he do? He walks down the same road. He sees that lion carcass there in the side of the road. And he says, hmm, let's inspect this thing. And as he gets closer, he realizes that a hive of bees has taken up residency within that carcass. So remember, he was not permitted to touch anything that was dead, nor was he allowed to eat anything that was defiled. However, he breaks both of those parts of his vow at this moment. He saw that the honey was good to eat, so he took some and he consumed it, breaking his covenant with God. This obviously is a little bit vomit-inducing for us. The lust of the flesh took hold and, and he consumed this defiled meal, but Right now, as we are focused very much on germs in our society, just the thought of sticking your hand into the ribcage of a dead thing and pulling out honey and eating it is pretty disturbing and vomit-inducing. But what does he do with the rest? He takes it home, and he gives it to his mother and father who eat it, but he doesn't tell them where it came from. What a great son. Ugh, go figure. Now, as wedding preparations continue, a feast was prepared, being that the bride was a Philistine, many of her nation were invited. So Samson creates a riddle and makes a bet that they cannot figure out the riddle. So if they can't give him the answer at the end of the week-long feast, then they are going to owe him 30 linens and 30 sets of clothes. Now here's the riddle that he put to them. Here's the little poem that he created. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, of course... The answer was the beehive and the lion carcass, but how in the world are they supposed to know that? They've never seen it. So what do they do? They secretly decide together to approach the up-and-coming wife and say to her, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is. Now, they could just stop there, but being that these are Philistines, they continue and say, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. That escalated quickly. Have you invited us here to impoverish us, they ask. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You don't love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father or mother. And shall I tell you? This was not starting out as a good marriage. So she wept before him for seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her, because she pressed him hard, then she told the riddle to her people. So she just kept nagging at him until finally he broke and said, Fine, lady, I will tell you what you want to know. Needless to say, this was not the honeymoon that Samson had expected. Samson was so mad that he didn't even finalize the marriage. He just got up from the feast and he left and he went to this nearby city called Ashkelon. And do you know what he does? He kills 30 random guys and he takes all of the clothes off of them and brings them back to the wedding feast and gives them out like wedding favors and says, here you go, guys, here's your 30 garments. I wonder if these were all usable. Maybe they were covered in blood. But even at this point, we see in verse 20, Samson's wife 
was given to his companion who had been his best man. He doesn't even get the girl. So in this instance, we see that he already begins experiencing some of the frustration from his sinful actions. His anger was still not subsided after killing those 30 guys. So what does he do? He catches 300 foxes. That is not an easy thing to do. In fact, actually, the text there might be better read as jackals. We're not sure. They may have been foxes, may have been jackals. But he catches them, and he ties their tails together, two of them at a time, and he ties torches to their tails so that they will run through the Philistines' grain fields and through their orchards and olive fields. Now, anger of, the, of any kind is usually sinful when it comes from us. We see here that he was a very angry individual. He was angry initially, which caused him to kill 30 men, and he was angry in a continuing way, holding a grudge against these people for a period of time long enough for him to catch 300 animals before he let out his revenge. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It was much better if he would have just held down his anger. But what we see is that this man is in love with himself. He is in love with his reputation. He is in love with the way that he views himself, much less everyone else. This is a kind of pride of life. We see that it is the belief that everyone else must align with your agenda. That's where anger comes from. When people, when you begin to recognize you are not God and the people don't do things the way that you want. The Philistines now are furious with Samson because this is their lifeline. This is their livelihood. This is how they survive. They, they are agriculturalists. They plant these, these uh, grains in order to eat. So what do they do? They create an army of a thousand soldiers and they send them to arrest Samson. And when they can't find Samson, they begin intimidating the people of Judah so that Judah collects 3,000 men and they send them to the hiding place where they know Samson is and they ask him to deliver himself over to the enemy. We read about this conversation and the ensuing events in Judges 15, 12 through 15, where it says, They said to him, We have come down here to bind you, that we might give you into the hands of the Philistines. Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, and they brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arm became like flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. In other words, he killed them. That is a very short sentence for a very, very big fight scene. Now, if you were to make a movie about the life of Samson, I'm really just not sure how you could avoid it being rated R for violence alone. The show 24, for example, is one of the most violent shows in television history. The protagonist, Jack Bauer, is known for his violent treatment of his enemies. 
And it took nine seasons of that show for Jack Bauer to kill 267 people. Samson killed almost four times that many in one fight using one weapon, which was from a dead donkey. He just reached down and grabbed out its jawbone. Now consider what it would take to kill an individual with the jawbone of a donkey. This must have been a disgusting mess. So what happens? Samson breaks out another poem, praising himself, praising his own deeds. And if you pay careful attention, you'll note he doesn't give any credit to God. He doesn't even thank God. Instead, he immediately complains to God saying, you have not provided me with enough water. So we continue on in verse 20 and it says, he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now, by no means were those 20 years filled with righteous living. In fact, the very next scene we read about him in chapter 16, he's visiting a prostitute in the city of Gaza. And when the people of Gaza came out to attack him and try to destroy him by the city gates, he just ripped off their massive city gates and carried them on his shoulders for 38 miles where he drops them away at Hebron just to show off. So after the battles of killing a thousand men and then ripping off the gates at Gaza, it seems that nobody would ever attempt to attack this man again. In fact, in the eyes of the Philistines, he probably seemed invincible. But now we come to sinister Delilah. Now we see his Achilles heel. Delilah represents temptation. She represents the subtle and sneaky ways that sin is going to attempt to trap you. This is one of the quintessential examples in the Bible of how sin makes you stupid. Let's look at chapter 16, verse 4. Please follow along in your own Bibles. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, there's some debate as to whether or not Delilah was a Philistine or not, but I like how Phil Johnson rightly states that whether she was a Philistine or not, she certainly acted like one. So the Philistines offer this seductress 1,100 pieces of silver each. Now, according to what I read, 1,100 pieces of silver is 18 lifetimes worth of wages, during that time at least. So she was going to be radically wealthy if she pulls this off. All she had to do was to convince Samson to give up his secret, and then she would share it. Temptation always comes to you in a flavor that you enjoy. The Philistines knew that Samson's weak point was with women. They had seen this pattern in his life, and they used this lust against him. And in like manner, the devil knows your weaknesses. He knows exactly where it is that you tend to fall. He is going to cook up a meal that you can smell from the next room, and that is going to get those juices in your stomach moving. Something that is pleasing to your senses. Something that is precisely what the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life desires. You are weak in some area. And that's not a knock on you. That is true of every person who has ever lived, save Jesus himself. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies. Tell me how you might be bound, 
that one could subdue you. Now, 20 years earlier, Samson had been fooled by one love interest into giving up a secret. So at first, he doesn't give in to this temptation, but he also doesn't do what he should have done. Verse 7 says, Samson said to her, if, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it, it is touched by the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Now, it's at this point that Samson should, Samson should know for sure, this is a trap. I need to get out. But he doesn't because he is enamored with Delilah. He will not get up. He will not leave. As far as we can tell from the text, he's not married to this woman. He is not bound to her. He doesn't have to remain there. He's simply having this fling with this attractive lady. And all signs of treachery are present. There is every bit of evidence that she is going to try to destroy him. But he's just so blinded by his own lust that he can't see it. How often are we like that with sin? How often are we like that where we know that our sin is treacherous? We know it will produce nothing good. We know we should get up and we should go away, but we don't. We know that the outcome is pain and destruction and destroyed relationships, but for some reason, we continue on in our foolishness, imagining that we are invincible. I think primarily at this point of the modern problem of pornography. I was listening to a sermon by a Scottish preacher just this week, and he said, it used to be that you had to go into the cities to be a pervert, but not anymore. And he was saying, all you have to do is type on your computer, and you can immediately see all of these horrible things coming into your eyes. Please understand what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Listen, Samson thought he was strong. I, he probably thought he was indestructible. Maybe he thought, look, this, this little tiny lady, she's no match for me. I killed a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone. There is no way that she can harm me. But what does he do? He underestimates the danger. Delilah might have seemed small and frail, but she was the key to his destruction. Now, you might think that you're strong in your walk with the Lord, you might think that there's nothing that could get in the way of your relationship with him. But then when temptation comes, you think to yourself, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just one look. It's just one word in anger. It's just one reply on Twitter. It's just one bite of the forbidden fruit. What could it hurt? When I was in Kansas a few weeks ago, we went fishing at my grandparents' house with my kiddos. We wanted them to have the experience of getting out there to the pond and... Athens actually did the best on the first day. He caught at least 20 fish. We stopped counting at a dozen. Well, actually, kind of. I think he, he caught the same fish at least five or six times. Now, why is it that this same fish would circle around that spot right in front of the dock and would come up and would eat the hook over and over and over again? Why would he take the bait? It's because he was in love with the worm. What a stupid fish. Why would he keep biting the hook? Why do we keep biting at sin? 
Why do we keep going after it, thinking it will satisfy us, and then being surprised when the hook catches us in the cheek? Because we are pursuing our own lusts. Delilah teaches us to run from sin. Temptation is going to be dangled in front of you every day in one form or another. And your responsibility as a believer is to run from it. You are going to be trapped if you continue on there. Continue, for, uh, continue reading what we had read earlier from 1 Corinthians 10. Previously I looked at 12. Let's continue on in verse 13 which says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Samson, get up. Now's the time to go. Now's the time to flee. Now is the time to run. You have an opportunity. Go. But he foolishly failed to run. We see in verse 10, Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me! And told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. Wow. I mean, she's good, right? I mean, she, she should win an Oscar for this performance. She is the one who has betrayed him. And she is acting as if she has been betrayed. Verse 11. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Michael Scott once said, Fool me once, shame on me. Shame on you. Fool me twice, strike three. But the ropes did nothing, and Samson continued entertaining her question. Again, he has an opportunity to leave. But then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me. You've told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with a pin, then I shall be weak and be like any other man. Now this was a kind of loom that they would use to, to make clothing or to make rugs or tents or things like that. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, Philistines are upon you, Samson! But he awoke from this sleep and pulled away the pen from the loom and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. What a fool. What a fool this Samson is. His pattern of sin has now led him to this moment where he is going to be brought low by the very person who he thinks is most dear to him. He is going to be humiliated by his enemies, and all because he was unwilling to walk away from sin. Verse 18 says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, and she made him sleep over her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of her head. Now seven locks again 
are probably better interpreted as seven braids, but either way, she pretended to be his closest confidant. She convinced him to fall asleep on her lap. She was acting as if she loved him. But then, as soon as the deed was done, we read, And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I'll go out at other times, as at other times, and shake myself free. Sorry, I skipped a piece here. Let me, let me take a step back. We read what she does directly after this. It says, Then she began to torment him. She began to torment him, and his strength left him. Isn't this exactly what sin does? It makes promises to you, and promises you joy, but then results in nothing but torment. You think it will make you happy, but then there's a turn point in the relationship where all of the sudden, all it gives to you is this torment where it mocks you for your foolishness. And then his strength left him. Your sin is going to make a lot of promises to you, but it's only going to lead you to the grave. It will pretend to fulfill you, but it will torment you when you reach that point of no return. So that's where we arrive, where the Philistines are upon Samson. He wakes and he says, I'm going to go out just like I have before, like at other times, and I'm going to shake myself free. So now we arrive at what I believe to be the saddest verse in the entire book of Judges. He says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. The power that he once enjoyed had departed from his body as the Holy Spirit refused to rest on him any longer. Thankfully, we are guaranteed the Holy Spirit if we are in Christ. He will not depart from us. However, we are able to grieve the Spirit. When we walk in sin, we displease the Spirit. And if you continue on in perpetual rebellion, it is a sign that the Spirit of God was never with you to begin with and that you are a self-deceived unbeliever. Samson learned the hard way that sin makes you stupid. He learned the hard way not to rely on the flesh. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And ground at the, he ground at the mill in the prison, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Your pet sin, the one that you hide, the one that you love, the one that you don't want to give up, it doesn't love you. Delilah, she was in it for the money. She never loved Samson. Your sin is there to shame you, to mock you, to shave your head. The higher that you climb up a ladder, the farther you have to fall. The farther a believer goes with sin, the more severe the punishment of the Lord will be. Samson was brought low. His punishment was great. He had his eyes burned out of his head. He was required to push a grain mill around like a donkey, like an animal. Then he was dragged out in front of 3,000 Philistine nobles at the temple of their god to be a spectacle, like a trophy. He was brought low, but it was in this position where we finally see him call out to the Lord with the right heart. We read in verses 28 through 30, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once. O oh God, that I might be avenged on the Philistine for my eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it, 
So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. It is here, in the last act of Samson's life, where we see his faith. By his own death, he conquered the enemies of Israel. And in this way, Samson is a type of Christ. He delivered his people. But unlike Samson, Jesus did not deserve death. Unlike Samson, Jesus' deliverance is permanent. And unlike Samson, Jesus saves souls not from the Philistines, but from the wrath of God. Jesus, in fact, saved Samson. I want to speak to those who are unbelievers for a moment and let you know that you need deliverance from something far worse than an army like the Philistines. You need deliverance from the wrath of God that is over you. If you are not in Christ, you stand to be condemned by him. You need the good news. You need Jesus, the perfect son of God, who came and died for sinners like you and me. He came to redeem people that were wicked like Samson and like me and like you. And if you will call upon the name of the Lord and run to him for forgiveness, he has open arms to receive any who come. Now, believers, I want you to know that Delilah did not win. Even though she was able to win a short-term battle, she lost the war. The Philistines were wiped out. They were set to destruction. Not completely at this time, but they are now on the run. What we see taking place in Samson is the truth of the matter that Delilah's temptation is an example for us to run from sin every time. And I hope that this temptress, Delilah, has convinced you that your sin is not worth it. I hope that this wicked temptress will come to your mind whenever you feel drawn in by the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Run from Delilah, run from her, but run to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would cause this message to resonate with those who are hearing it. Please, Lord, I pray that you would bless them, encourage them, build them up. For those who are not in Christ, I ask, Lord, that this would be a conviction to show them that they desperately need repentance and faith. And Lord, I pray for those who do know you, that this would be a call to holiness, that we would not be like Samson, that we would not be comfortable with worldliness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.